look at Genesis chapter 28, where we left off last time. And I really pondered this the last couple of weeks, actually, because this is such familiar territory. And I thought, well, I can skip it and go on to chapter 29 and not revisit this familiar territory. But you just can't, in this case, in this case, I just couldn't do it. There's too much here, too much um, as part of precept upon precept, line upon line from this study. And so I hope you'll open your hearts to the word of God. Genesis 28, let's read verse 10. It says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place, a certain place. And he tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth. Now the word behold, as you know, is emphatic. Behold. Wow. Look. Notice. So it says, and behold, a ladder. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And I ask God you will help us to cast out any and all distractions that you will do it for us and focus our hearts and minds on your word. These dear faithful people who've been here week after week studying this book, these foundational truths. And I pray you'll continue to bless them for it and bless all of us, Lord, to the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think for just a moment about all of the things that you and I, we've all studied here together since we started on this foundational book. And just consider for a moment how connected this unfolding plan of God has been. You know, you realize that Abraham was born just two years after, a couple years, um, so many years after Noah died. That means that he could have known Shem for 30, even 40 years. Shem was the son of Noah, who could have known Seth, the son of Adam, for over a hundred years. Adam, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. It's not just accumulated knowledge, which it truly is, but it's not just accumulated knowledge with these families, it's accumulated experience and divine revelation. It is a coherent story of God's redemption, which is why it's no surprise that when you come to our text tonight, you see that it presents to us, I think, one of the most powerful, profound stories in all of the Bible. So profound that our Lord Jesus referred back to this story when he was talking to Nathanael in John chapter number one. So profound that what happens in this brief text is in some ways the culmination of everything that we have studied, everything that the Creator has done up to this point in this foundational book. It is so profound that when you really contemplate, when you really take in and understand what God is saying here, you come away with a sense of awe. You come away with a sense of wonder and, I think, faith. Understand that this night in Jacob's life is a whole lot more than just the basis of a children's story about climbing Jacob's ladder. This is a story about God who is holy and man who is unholy, and it's about God's redemption provided to that unholy man in His grace. You know, it's very typical of the world. I've noted this in the past. It is so typical of Satan to take the most important spiritual moments in history and in Scripture, the ones we've been studying, Noah and the ark, 
Adam and Eve, you know the apple and the fall in the garden. Jonah and the great fish. And now here with Jacob's ladder. It is so typical but tragic that with these powerful, these amazing and critical scenes, the devil always tries to make them into cartoons. He always wants people to see them, including our children, our own selves, to see them as, you know, caricatures for a movie or, or a mural on a wall in a nursery. Satan hates these stories. Satan hates these historical narratives, these biblical narratives, for very good reason. And that's because they are stories from God. They present powerful truths. I mentioned John chapter 1. The Lord Jesus spoke to Nathanael. You know this story. And he referred, when he talked to, the, to Nathanael, he referred to this text. He referred to Jacob's ladder, if you will. He reminded him of what it really means there to be a child of the living God. And in so doing, he's going to remind us tonight of who we are and where we're standing right now on this Wednesday night in the plan of God, if you're saved. Look at verse 18. We noted this last week. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar, a, a reminder, a memorial, and poured oil upon the top of it. Okay, so 4,000 years ago, Jacob has a dream. When he wakes up from that dream, he drizzles some oil on a rock and he calls it Bethel, which means the house of God. Later on, this same man, Jacob, has his name changed. But it's God who changes his name. And God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. You realize that from that day to this very moment, the name Israel has been the focal point of Satan's long war against God. I'll remind you that earlier in our study, the devil tried to build a tower. The devil and his people tried to build a tower up into heaven. But Jacob sees something else. He sees a ladder, the true and only access to heaven and to God. It was just a couple of years ago we preached and we noted in that opening chapter in John's Gospel how the Lord Jesus Christ introduced himself to Nathanael by demonstrating his omniscience. I saw you under that tree. You were having your devotions, you were praying, whatever. I saw you. Jesus was nowhere near that tree, but he saw him, and Nathanael recognized he's omniscient. And then he pointed Nathanael to this very moment, to this ladder. Nathanael's first statement when he met the Lord Jesus Christ was pretty astonishing. He just said, Rabbi, Thou art the Son of God. And then he said, Thou art the King of what? The King of Israel. This man's name. You know, to no one else did our Lord Jesus ever say, Behold, an Israelite. An Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And to no one else did the Lord Jesus speak of himself as being Jacob's ladder. I'll remind you of this in John chapter 1, verse 51 on your screen. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Nathanael, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, folks, what exactly was our Lord saying in that statement? Because he is definitely revealing something to the disciples, to Nathanael, and to all of us. Look at our text again in Genesis 28. Let's go back to verse 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. 
And he lighted upon a certain place, a certain place, and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. Hard Rock Hotel. He might have found the softest, smoothest stone of all, but it's still, that's a rough place. And you know, beloved, it's critical. It is critical to understand the context of Jacob's dream that's going to come to him in this certain place. Yes, it is true that he's way out in this desert wilderness, and it's a strange place, and he's running. Yes, it is true that he's not only alone, but he's extremely lonely. It is true that long ago, thousands of years ago, at night, in a wilderness, when it's cold and he's alone, there's nothing but darkness and the starry sky. It's true that he was there, but it is mostly true that he's out there in exile. That Remember, he was sent away. This was last week's study. The chapter before this describes Esau's hatred of Jacob, Rebekah's warning of Esau's plan and the potential plan for him to kill Jacob. And so Isaac, Jacob's father, he calls him in. As we noted, he blesses him last week. And now he's going to send him away to Padanaram. And on the way, in that context, we find that Jacob is completely alone. Completely alone. He's anxious. He is extremely frustrated. He's hated. He's been threatened. He's misunderstood. He's extremely flawed. God doesn't hide that about any of these, none of these people. And now he's been sent away. His bag of tricks that he's so good at is empty. And he's in this lonely, barren wilderness with a broken heart. He's the deceiver. That's his name, even. He's sort of reaping some of the, in the whirlwind of what he had uh, sowed his own self. So that this is not good news. You know, life is made up of choices. You end up in places in your life, oftentimes because of the foolish choices you make. And some of that's true about him. But he's about to learn something. He is about to learn a lesson about God that all of us in this room must learn and never forget and must be reminded of, I believe, over and over again. Verse 12 says, Behold, behold a ladder set up on earth and the top of it reaching to heaven. Behold a ladder. What does it mean, Pastor? And why behold? Verse 15. Let's look at it, shall we? And behold, there's his word again. This has absolutely everything to do with this ladder. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. Now hear me carefully. You do understand that this wilderness is not a cathedral. It's not a church building. Look at the rest of verse 15. It says, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Behold, I am with thee. You understand that this place was not some sacred soil. You understand that as far as feelings and atmosphere and circumstances are all concerned, God's being in that place, saying, I am with thee in this place. God's presence is not just Jacob's reality. It's every believer's reality. Let me ask you this. Does Jacob feel 
All right, he's out in the wilderness, he's alone, he's cold. Does he feel as though he's connected to heaven? No, not at all. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, Jacob told me in verse 16. Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Here it is. And I knew it not. As we noted last week, I knew it not. We mentioned recently in one of our messages, I think on a Sunday morning, there's a very popular chorus. I remember I learned it as a teenager, and it's become a favorite, especially Benny Hinn and a lot of charismatics and some evangelicals. And that chorus says, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. It takes its chorus, of course, from this very text. It's always sung, when Benny Hinn uses it, always sung very slowly, tremendous amounts of emotion, lingering on the S sounds, usually with strings. And again, taken from Genesis 28. Now, the melody is beautiful. Lanny Wolf wrote it. It's beautiful. There's just one problem, and it's a big problem with a lot of modern songs. It's not the message at all, not even close to being the message of Jacob's experience. You see, the song says this, Surely the presence, you know it, right? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. All right, now you know, right? You recognize it? Okay. Here's what it says that builds up so much emotion with people. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel, I'm going to hold up my fingers each time, I can feel God's mighty power and grace. I can hear the breath of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence. So, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Here's the next stanza. There's a holy hush. And again, that's how they sing it. There's a holy hush. There's a holy hush around us as God's glory fills this place. I've touched the hem of God's garment. I can almost see God's face. Really? That's what you get from this text? Let me tell you something. Jacob did not say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I feel it. I hear the breath of angels' wings. I see the glory. And I touch. That's not what he said. He said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. I didn't hear it. I didn't feel it. I didn't touch it. I had no idea. You see, folks, this is the greater truth. Not that, oh, I went to church and the music and the, and the people and, the, the, and I felt it. It's just a feeling. No, no, no. The greater truth is God's presence is there whether you feel it or not. Whether you think you touch it. God's lesson here of the latter is that as verse 12 says it is quote set up you see those words it's set up god put it there not jacob's emotions it is there by god's will he wants to be there and it's there by god's promise and his word so what shall the loneliest and the coldest and the darkest days of our lives cause us to do Lean on our feelings. Look for them. Expect a, the, the, the breath of angels' wings. Or trust God and live by faith. What was God calling Jacob and now us to do? Look at verse 15 again. 
And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. And will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I will fulfill my word. You realize that for the next 20 years of Jacob's life, okay, talk about that song again quoting this verse. I feel this is surely the present. Okay, what about this man? After God gave him this promise, for the next 20 years of his life, following this very night, he's going to go, this man's going to go from one disappointment to the next one. Tricked by his uncle Laban, laboring, serving, being deceived. Jacob has a lot of hardship ahead of him, and a lot of it by his own fault. But regardless of his circumstances or his feelings or his emotions or his finances, whatever were coming in the days ahead, there's one thing he had every right to full assurance of. He could always go back and go, God's with me. He could have full assurance of the hand of God. I will guarantee you this much. When Jacob realizes that he's worked and he's labored seven years for the wrong girl, when he comes to realize he's been deceived and he sees the next day that he married Leah, not Rachel, I guarantee you he wasn't singing, Surely the presence of the Lord. No, no. He wasn't feeling the hem of God's garment. He was choking Laban's neck or wanting to. And you know, you might say, Pastor, my goodness, this earth, this world is a mess. It is a mess. Laban looks like a saint compared to our leaders. Deceptive, liars, businessmen, politicians. Pastor, this world is a, dark, a wilderness. It is dark. It is cold. Sometimes it's lonely. There's wickedness in this wilderness. Yep, all of those. But guess what? Behold, there's a ladder. Whether you feel it or not, behold the ladder. Jacob took some oil and he poured it on a rock and he said, this is Bethel, the house of God. Verse 12, and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up. It's not an accident. Set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it, on that ladder. Now why? Why are the angels of God ascending and descending between heaven and earth? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us, for example, in Hebrews 1.14, Are not the angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of God's salvation? It is also in Hebrews, by the way, that verse 15 is quoted, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So you see, folks, Jacob was reminded in that wilderness on that cold night that God has a plan and God has a people, that God has a purpose. And while we may not physically see these angels ascending and descending, and we don't, behold, God says they're there. And the reason they're there is that God is working God is doing His will. He was doing His will then. It didn't look like it. It didn't feel like it. But He was doing His will in the world. And this, the will of God, ends in absolute eternal glory. 
I'll remind you, beloved, that even though Jacob's, he's over 40 years of age at this point, this is really the first time he's now on the threshold of his independence. He's been forced out. It's the first time he's left the shelter of his home. It's the perfect time. It's the ordained time for God to come and draw nigh to him and speak to his heart. And you'll notice he speaks to his heart about personal matters because God's concerned about a cold, hard night's sleep. And he speaks to his heart about eternal matters. Pastor, why would God do that? Why would the creator of the universe condescend and come down to a supplanter, a deceiver, a man like Jacob? Why is God here in this story? Beloved, this is what salvation is. This is exactly what God's redemption is all about. It is about the God who created man, watching the fall of man, then do whatever it takes in God's economy to redeem that man back to himself. That means you. You. Everybody in this room who's saved tonight. You do know this. You understand that God was merciful, that God was gracious, absolutely full of love and purpose for you when he came and he spoke to your heart. Whether you were a child, teenager, young adult, when he came and spoke to you. And at this very hour, it is God's good pleasure. It is God's good pleasure to take you from a world of frustration and sin and captivity to the devil and frustration, anxiety, fear, and loneliness and bring you and many other sons into glory. In other words, just as, just as Jesus taught when he alluded to this story, thousands of years later when God became flesh and was ministering, God wants to do for you exactly what he is doing for Jacob. Verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Now wait a minute, Abraham, Isaac, Abraham's seed, and you'll notice as verse 14 says, all the families of the earth forever. This story is not just about one man. It's not even about one family. It's not even about one nation. Notice again exactly what Jesus said in Nathaniel thousands of years later when referring to this. Look on your screen, John 1, verse 48. Nathaniel said in the hymn, Whence knewest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, wait a minute. Jesus said that the angels are ascending and descending upon himself. In other words, he's the ladder. Folks, here's Jacob. He thinks he's all alone. 
He thinks he's out there and nobody cares and what's he going to do? And he thinks that the regrets of the past and the loneliness of the present and the uncertainty of the future is all that life's about. That's my neighbor right now. That's family members you may have. That's most of the world. But in this man's case, what happens? Well, God comes to him in his sleep. He gives him this profound dream to show him and us that in fact, all along, he was surrounded by his presence and ministering angels. That in fact, all along, he was being watched for and cared for by God. That in fact, there's a ladder, a communion. There's this link between that insignificant desert place and heaven itself. You see, in Jacob's day, people believed that when you left home, you left your gods behind. And that was risky, dangerous. Idols, gods were referenced by locale. But you'll notice what God says to Jacob, verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, right there to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Right there where you're sleeping, Jacob. The land where you're lying down. To thee, to thy seed, I'll give it. You see, God's not more present. He's not any more powerful in Jerusalem than he is in Jupiter, Florida. Look, we don't have to travel to Mecca or Medina or the Vatican or Mount Fuji or London or Tibet. God's no more in the center of Jerusalem than he is in some Sudanese hut or dingy factory or tiny apartment or desolate wilderness. Not when one of his children's there. The latter is not literal, it's symbolic. And what it symbolizes is this eternal purpose of God that whatever and wherever you are, God is there. The location of the latter, verse 12, and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth. On the earth, reached up to heaven, and God, it says that Lord God looked down from the ladder, the top of the ladder. In other words, God is both in heaven obviously, and there with Jacob at the very same time. And you know, it's very significant that Jacob isn't so much invited to climb this ladder, but to simply recognize and have faith that it's there. That's what he's encouraged to do. That old song, you know, we are climbing, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. No, we're not. Not unless you're an angel. We're not climbing it. Jesus is the ladder. The ladder has come down. Ministering angels are ascending and descending on that ladder, and God, by His grace, has provided this promise of salvation and sustenance. Look at verse 14. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west to the east, to the north, to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Going right back to the covenant. And behold, I am with thee. 
and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done, done that which I have spoken to thee of. Wait a minute. Until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. That sounds to me like God has an eternal purpose. It sounds to me like he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Jacob, God said, I'm with you and I'll keep you. I will protect you. In all of the places, wherever you're going, I will not leave you so that in one night you recognize Jacob went from being a fugitive to being a pilgrim. We're pilgrims here tonight. He was compelled to leave his father's house. Jacob found that night that God in his grace was offering him his house. Those of you who have studied this text in depth, you know this. You know that this certain place, as it's called in verse 11, that Jacob calls Bethel was located on the very same ridge as Mount Moriah. It's the same ridge we studied a few weeks ago where Abraham came and sacrificed a ram instead of his own son. It's the same place where God sacrificed his son instead of calling us to sacrifice. So that it's right there, a certain place, there at Calvary, was placed a cross suspended between heaven and earth, a true ladder, upon which the Son of God cried, it is finished. Think about that. When someone, you know, a dying man, you expect to say, I am finished. But Jesus said, it is finished. God's purpose of redemption, sacrifice, salvation, the ladder set up on the earth has now wounded Satan's head just like he promised all the way back in Genesis. God's great purpose is and has and always will proceed according to his promise. You'll notice that Jacob was assured by God's purpose. Of course he was. Both in the big picture of God's working in this great plan of bringing many sons and daughters to glory. God's work of eternity, he, there he sees it, but also individually. In this little small micro picture of God's working in Jacob's heart. And that's what's happening tonight. He's working in my heart, in your heart, and in the entire world. God is graciously teaching us and leading this man and all of us in this journey. You know, we talked about an eagle in Sunday school not long ago to the young people. When a mother eagle builds its nest for its young, it'll begin by bringing in all of these sharp materials. That's the base. It'll bring in sharp rocks, broken branches, thorns. And then to provide comfort, the mother eagle will cover all of that nest with materials from its taken prey, feathers and wool and fur. It's really the perfect place for an eagle's young to, to hatch and to grow. But then the adult eagle will sense that it's time for the eaglet to fly, to leave that nest. So what does it do? It comes in and it takes its powerful talons and it removes all the soft material. 
here a bit, there a bit, until it exposes only the sharp and the uncomfortable stuff. It's called stirring the nest. And you know, it's not meanness by the mother eagle. It's not lack of compassion. It's what, what is best. It is the very thing that leads to an eaglet being able to fly. This is what God is doing with Jacob. He stirred him from his nest. He put him on a bed of rocks. He starts him on a path of being no longer Jacob the supplanter, but becoming Israel, which means prince with God. And that's how it is with salvation. That's how it is with the redemptive plan of God. What the Father does and continues to do is take a helpless sinner, taking a deceiver, a conniving supplanter, such as we all were, molding such a one into a prince or a princess of God. And it is true that many times in our lives, God will stir our nest in order to build our faith. I read the other day, someone said, faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it is the result of being shaken. That's real faith. And when the nest is stirred and our lives are shaken up, our faith and our resolve and our heart can be strengthened to the glory of God. Look at verse 20. We're going to close. He says, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me. Wow, is that a statement of faith? He just told him, I'm going to be with you no matter what. It wasn't based on your goodness, that's for sure. But, you know, this, is, this guy, he's at best a new convert. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then, then shall the Lord be my God. Now, if I were God, it'd be like, <laughs> crispy critter right there. Thankfully, we're not God. Amen. Jacob vows a vow and he's got a bunch of ifs in his vow. Do you know tonight what Jacob's vow means to me as a child of God? Do you know how much faith your pastor has in Jacob's promise? None. Zero. Jacob still has a lot to learn. He hasn't wrestled with the angel of the Lord yet. He's not walking with that limp as yet. Just read this prayer. You can see he's still got a little bit of conniver in him. The supplanter, like all of us. But God's not finished with him yet. God is patient, long-suffering, and God's not finished with you yet. Not by a long shot. And he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. On the bigger scale, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. I saw two headlines today. One was about Russia. You know, a whole plane load of Jews flew out of Israel, landed in, in Russia, and was immediately surrounded by scary, murderous groups of people who wanted to get on that plane and kill them. 
And the other article is about China. And how China's watching all these world events, and of course, you know, they're licking their chops. They want Taiwan. Taiwan basically produces up to 80% of all the microchips in the world. You think they just want this little island for no reason? They would control everything? And I thought about those two articles in light of what's happening in Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Both of those nations, China and Russia, we see in prophecy. One comes down from the north, eventually one comes from the east. Who are they coming after? Israel. It's not because these people are better. It's not because Jacob's like, wow, what a great guy. I mean, I just read that. It's because God has a plan. Satan hates that plan. But in the midst of all of his hatred and opposition, God also has promises. I am with thee. I will never forsake thee, even to the end of the world. And he's not finished with you. And God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. And as we continue to study this foundational book and these foundational truths, we do see, we do see, Father, this, this unbroken chain and this unfolding revelation like the sun rising on the horizon until we see Jesus comes. And all of these promises that Jesus is coming soon and again, we know are true. We know that. Thank you for your promises. May we embrace them by faith in Jesus' name. Amen.